Hmm? Okay, so everybody is fine. We're starting a new book. It's Harshat Bamidbar and it's Chumash Bamidbar. We're opening up the book of numbers. Okay. Um, so we have the Torah portion and the book have the same name this week. Um, before we get started, I would like to dedicate our learning today for the safety and security of all the soldiers and citizens of the Holy Land. And also, my son is there. That video that everybody's seen with all those Iron Dome things, that's, he, that, he saw that happen. He's like, and you just don't get the magnitude of the noise and how much the ground shakes when that happens. So, so he's, he's in his regular, he's doing his regular service. I do know people who were called up my kids so far, thank God, are not. Um, it's just, it's so interesting, like, on the side, does not need to be recorded. One second. Okay, so that's the first thing. Now, to, before we get into the Parsha, today is, you ready to hollow? What's today? Today's Rosh Chodesh. My sister, a happy birthday, Rachel. Um, it is Rosh Chodesh Sivan, and and this is the day that the Jews came to Sinai. This is the day that the Jews, they came. They, this is like, you know, the whole countdown to Shavuos. Today is the day that, um, that they got there. And when the, the Talmud counts, like what instructions they got on what day, the whole conversation about Shavuos about, you know, what day was the Torah given? What date was it given on? Because everybody agrees it's good on Shabbos, whatever. But everybody agrees that the day they arrive at Sinai, which is today, Rosh Chodesh, um, they were given no instructions. And, and it says, because they were exhausted. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at a map, um, it, they didn't really go very far. Like, it really is not a, it's not a far distance that they went. You know? Like, what are you so exhausted about? You know, like, what's the big deal? Um, and we know that the Torah talks about this is the day that the Jewish people camped opposite the mountain. And Rashi says, is one person with one heart. And, and, um, and, and Hasidus explains that the counting, and we've talked, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this in Sphira in general, that the counting of Sphira isn't only one, two, three, four, five, six, but it's that working on your amigos and working on the fine tuning of the fine tuning. What's the difference between kindness of severity versus severity of kindness, yeah. right? Because they all are very, it's nuanced language of emotion and, 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 and character traits, which is an interesting thing because um, it feels like a very modern concept. Like, you know, you know, to understand the nuance, you think like, oh, once upon a time it was all just black and white, it really wasn't. And so what happens is, is that in the first counting, it was also an incredible spiritual journey. We know that they left Egypt there at 49th level of impurity. That means they're like at almost negative 49. They're going to come all the way up to positive 49. That means they're doing massive jumps every single day. And so the Avaida, the work that they actually do on Rosh Chodesh is to understand um, that place of unity. And unity comes from a place of self-nullification. When we can put ourselves to the side, then we can make space for the other. If I 
fill up all the space. There's no room for you. But if, if we can really get that there is a value to that, not about me, and that avoida is exhausting. That avoida of, of coming to a place that, you know? So yes, they were exhausted, not because they traveled very far, but because they, but because the work that they had to do of coming to the place of understanding after all that work of fine tuning and refining and blah, 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 all those kind of nice words, there's a place that it's not about that. It's about me not taking up all the space, about me making space for the other and that there is something amazing about us as the Jewish people as one unit. And that's, that's, that's today. So I guess my first blessing is for Chodesh Sivan and that we should be able to tap into that place of, you know, making space for the other and, and giving space to the other. And, uh, and that's how we really show our unity. Our unity isn't when I can outshout you and drown you out. It's when we can actually all take a step back and, and make space together. So that's my first bracha for all of us. Okay, Parsha, what's going on this week? Did Emma have what is going on this week? What's happening in this book? The whole situation. What's going on? So Parsha's by Midbar is. Emma, did you get a, get a, a head start on the on the Parsha yet? I have a little bit. I was just like we're having a campaign and Exactly. Exactly. It's right. So so there's an interesting there's an interesting huh there's an issue yeah, there's an interesting phenomenon going on here that the Parsha is actually pretty long, but there's a lot of repetition going on here, and there's a lot of stuff that you're like. Really, like that? How's that so important to be written in the Torah? So we're gonna we're gonna try to get a, to get the overview of the whole parsha is gonna be kind of simple, and then we're gonna have to talk about all different kinds of stuff. So first of all, midbar literally means what's a midbar? A a, a, a derech is a way. What? What a midbar? Exactly, midbar is the wilderness, right? It's in the desert. Uh, it's in the desert. It's in the desert. And um, and what's the English name for this book? Numbers. Numbers. And we've talked about this a few times that in the Gemara, there are different names for every single Chumash. And this Chumash is called Sefer HaPikudim, the book of counting. Now, if you look at this first Parsha, it's pretty obvious. There's lots of numbers. There's lots of counting. There's lots of sub-counting, sub-sub and re-sub and re-divide. Um, and, and you don't actually see through the whole Chumash. But at the end of the Chumash and Parshas Pitchus, we're going to have another census going on. So there is this overall conversation about numbers and counting. Um, and we spoke about this many times that the, that the English names of the Chumash really do reflect the essence of the Chumash. And we're going to get back to that in a second. If I do not, can somebody please remind me and say, we did not get back to this. Because after last class, I was like, wait a second, we can get back to this, we can get back to this, we can get back to this. So please bear with me. So what happened? We're in the, de- we're in the Sinai Desert. Uh, we're going to start from the beginning, chapter one, verse one. It's the first day of the second month of the second year of the Jews leaving Egypt, which means when is it? What year do, what is this? What is the first month in, in Chumash? When we look in the Chumash, what's considered the first month? Because we know that in the Chumash, months do not have names. They have numbers. What is the first month? Nisan, exactly. Nisan is the first month. So the second month is ER. So it's Rosh Chodesh ER. And the second year after the Jews leave Egypt, they leave Egypt in the year 2448 from creation. And this is the year 2449. 
question. Why does it specifically say? Say what? It just says like the first or the second month. Why does it say like how much more explicitly? No, why does it say like any month? They oh, that's what I'm saying. The Chumash does not give names to the months. What? They this is two four four nine. They leave Egypt in two four four eight. So it's a year later. The Chumash does not have names for the for the month. The names for the month came back from Babylon with the Jewish people. In the Chumash, they're only ever given months. They're all, sorry, they're only given numbers. So Nisan is the first month. Tishrei is the seventh, and and you know, like it, it's like trying to do military time. So those are the ones we know easily. And the other, other ones, you have to count at our fingers. <laughs> so the second month is ER. So okay, so Tishrei is a start for other things in the Talmud. Parenthetical in the Talmud, we have four Rosh Hashanahs. Okay. So Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah for counting the years. Yeah. Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah for everything connected to the Jewish people. Okay, Rosh Chodesh Elul is a, is a Rosh Hashanah, how we count animals for Miser, and what's the last Rosh Hashanah that everybody knows? What? No, that, that I said, we said that one. No, right, the 15th of Shvat, which is the new year for the trees, right? We did know that one, if we would have thought about it a little bit longer. We don't think of it in terms of Rosh Hashanah, but but it is, in fact, considered one of the four Rosh Hashanahs that we have. So, yes, uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is Tishrei, the first of Tishrei, that's like for counting years. We change the date on that day, like that's how we, that, that's, that's Rosh Hashanah. Tu Bishvat, the 15th of Shvat, which is the Rosh Hashanah for trees. Rosh Chodesh Elul, which is the new year for counting animals, for Miser. Like when animals born before the first of Elul counted last year's count and after Elul they're born there. And Rosh Chodesh, and sorry, and the first of Nisan is Rosh Hashanah for, uh, really for like, uh, first of all, the Torah counts it as the first month. And for Jewish things, we're gonna find it. So kings of Israel, uh, Rosh Hashanah for them is Rosh, is, uh, is Nisan, the beginning of Nisan. That means if a king became king, if a king became king, yeah. If a king became king in the month of Adar, which is the ele- which is the twelfth month, and served for one month, biblically it's considered a year because it's going to change count on Nisan. They don't count like they don't count it from like your birthday is on your birthday, right? But the kings get counted from from Nisan, so that's when their their count would change. So it, it, you find it very much for like um, Jewish kind of stuff. That's where Nisan gets counted. And I was going to originally I was going to say that, that Tishrei is uh, the count of creation, but we know that in the Talmud, there is in fact a disagreement, shockingly enough, about when was the world created? Was it created Nisan or Tishrei? So we go with the Tishrei version of, the, of creation, but there is also a, a, an opinion that it was actually created Nisan. So, yeah. What? El is the animal one. So I don't know, having lived on a farm, does that make sense? Is that what animals would have been born over the summer? I mean, it does make a difference because that's what it is, but I'm just, I wonder if it actually matches. I wonder if it actually matches. It depends on where you are. Right. Okay, so we're actually the next part, uh, in two parts, we're gonna actually gonna go back to the first month of like Tanisan of this year. But right now the Chumash is opening up with the first day of the second month, with the second year that the Jews left Egypt. Okay? Rosh Chodesh. 
Rosh Chodesh Iyar, near 2449 from creation. And what does Hashem tell Moshe and Aaron? In verse 2, Se'u et Rosh Kholadat Israel. Count, count, to count them. But also when we talk about count, we don't use the word lispor or spor, however you say it. We say se'u, and se'u literally means to lift up. So that when we count people, we are in fact elevating them, which, un- which helps us understand why Moshe and Aaron are the same. So that's that they're gonna be counted. They don't we don't count with them. It's that counting not directly, like the not one, not two, or whatever, has to do with the place of Ayanhara. And we find it more from David, from King David, that he once counted the people, and there was a great plague because he didn't count them. Um, he counted them directly, and really we don't count, we don't count directly. So we're gonna talk what no 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 there's a place there there's a place of of uh of we'll get we'll get into the conversation of counting in a second okay i want to i want to do some numbers and then we're gonna come back to the whole counting situation and how do we do it and why do we do it and what's the purpose of it okay so here we have the terror is going to tell us so first of all i want to just point out that moshe and aaron are going to be the census takers the first thing the Torah is going to list is who's going to count with them? Heads of tribes. This is anybody here ever been a part of a census? Anybody? Like Have you ever been part of a census? Have you ever had census takers come to your house? Yeah. Okay, I've had it happen, and and it's not Moshe and Aaron coming to collect the, the numbers of how many people live in your house, right? Okay, but it, it's not necessarily the. Yeah, you have to they, you have to fill out you have to in Israel's ones to come around and help you fill out the forms like whatever I guess to make sure you actually do it I don't know but uh, but um, but Moshe and Aaron and the heads of tribes are the ones who are counting the Jewish people because Se'uet Rosh we need to uplift their heads it's not just going to tell us how many are there yeah we're going to know how many there are because that's going to be very important but they're also going to be uplifting the people in the time that they do this so the first Aliyah is going to tell us all about the people who uh, who were the heads of tribes who end up counting, going with Moshe and Aaron to count the people. Fun fact, when we end up sending spies into the land of Israel, the names are going to change. They're not sending the same people to go uh, represent each tribe when they go in Parsha Shlach, when they go to check out uh, to check out the land of Israel, which is an interesting little fun fact. I don't know what it means, but I'm just telling you, question. no stupid questions. Like, all of, like, Ruben, and Yehuda, all of them are like Yosef, they're all dead. Years ago, years ago. Now we already have tribes. I mean, we in the in the beginning of the beginning of Shemos, the beginning of the book of Exodus starts off by Yamas Yosef you know, that Joseph and his brothers all passed away, and then we have a new king and blah blah blah. So the whole the the hardship in Egypt doesn't start until the last of the tribes pass away. I mean, they're in, they're in exile, but the slavery doesn't start until Levi, till the last of the sons pass away. So Levi is the, is the is the son who lived the longest, and so then you find Miriam is born at the height of the of the of the terrible part of the exile. So that's why her name is Miriam. But you, if you do the math, you turn out it, it's I think it's like uh, um, it maybe it was. 85 or 90 years of really terrible, which, which is terrible. I'm not, I'm not knocking, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't 200, 210 years. It wasn't 400 years. 
the terrible, terrible slavery only starts once all the tribes pass away. So now we're picking up the book. They've left Egypt. They've had, they've had at least 80 years, if not longer, since the last of the sons passed away. And so we're talking about the, the nation has grown exponentially. Yeah. The numbers are, the, you know, two, uh, 200 and let's say 212 years ago, you know, J Jacob comes down to Egypt with 70 people and we're going to do a count now. We're going to get to millions. Yeah. We're going to get to millions because we're only counting um, 20 and over, men 20 and over. Okay. Um, before we get into the census, I, don't, I also want to point out what was the end of the book of Shemos? We're going to take Vayikra out of the picture for a second because that was really mostly we talked about was a lot of laws. What was the last stories that we were covering in Exodus? Next, what was the end of Exodus? Beginning is to go down to crossing what? They left? No, it continues. After they left, what happened? What? The Egyptians cross and the crossing of the sea. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they have stuff and they, yeah, they, yeah. What's the end of Exodus? Building a house for God. Remember that? All those, oh, <laughs> remember all those versions? I can't believe you. And that's why we have it four times because we can't even remember it three months later. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, yeah, so the end of Exodus, the end of Shemos is when we build a house for God. Now, if you take Vayikra out of the picture for a second, what's the next directive? Where, what's this, where are the Jews up to now? Now, we're, the, 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 they have a house, got a house, yeah? Okay, now what? Where are we headed? What's our plan? What's the plan right now? We got the Torah. We got, it in, we, got the, we got the Torah. What's the plan now? And now, what do we do? Go to Israel. Exactly. And now we go to Israel. So we are, we are looking at Torah and we're remembering that the Jews are going to spend 40 years in the desert. But that's not what they're up to right now. Right now, they're going to the land of Israel. So we need to get organized in order to go to the land of Israel because what's going to happen when they go to the land of Israel? They're going to have to. They're going to just walk in and everybody's going to say, here's my house, here's my They're going to have to have, well, the truth of the matter is there are opinions that say that the Jews should have been able to just walk in and, and have it. But on, on, the, on the natural playing field, they were going to have to go fight for the land of Israel. So what's the first thing we need to know? How many fighters do we have? And so that's what the first sense is. We're going to, in the most basic level, that's what we're going to start doing. Who are the people who could fight for us as we're going to the land of Israel? So we're going to start counting. This is why they're counting men 20 and over. Now, there's a whole conversation in the, in the, in the commentaries. What was the cutoff age for the count for the men? Because in he counted too young. Yeah, he counted them from too young. Uh, down to thirteen. He, exactly. So he, King David started counting from thirteen. Um, but here the question is: the Torah only says twenty and over. A lot of the stages, a lot of the commentaries talk about the idea that the count was from the people between the ages of twenty and sixty. Okay, because if you're talking warriors, it has to be a time where somebody taps out, like your reserve time has to end at some point, right? So 20 to 60, but the Torah doesn't actually say that. So it's a little bit unclear what is the top end of the count. We know the bottom end of the count is 20-year-old males. Um, we don't really have the top end of the count. The other thing that's going to be very interesting, if you look in verse 18, we're going to count all the people. We're going to... Look at their genealogy, Lebeth Avotam. We are counting people 
according to their families. It's going to be not just, we've, we've had counts of the Jewish people. We know when the Jews leave Egypt, the Torah tells us they left 100,000 strong. Hashem gave us a number. Here's the number. Now, as we're starting to look towards Israel, there's going to be another way of looking at the people. Not just we, the Jewish people, but we family and tribe units. And then we're going to also have sub-units, sub which we're going to get to in a second, of how do we, how do we, um, how do we look at the Jewish people? I think it's very important and very, very fascinating in all kinds of those nice words that, you know, we're coming, we're, we're right before Shavuos. Shocking news, next week is Shavuos, right? Um, and, and how do we get Torah? It's in, a, it's in that unit of, it's coming in that unit of family. Bamidbar is always read before Shavuos. So, you know, we're coming there and it's not just me by myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to come accept Torah, but it's, I'm part of those things, you know, those, those units and those layers and how it comes to, and that's really where we're, we're coming forward. So this count, I think is very interesting that there is an acknowledgement of the, um, this is my take on the situation, on the power of family. You know, none of us just sort of, uh, as far as I know, none of us just sort of sprang out of somebody's head fully formed. Like, that's just not how we were created. We, we had parents, we had an upbringing. We like all those things are all part of what make us who we are. And that's how we come to Torah. We come to Torah with our whole package, not just like, this is me from yesterday. This is me from last year. This is like, this is the new, no, I am a sum total of my whole, you know, whatever my years are, you know, like I, I have an accumulation of time and, and learning and experience. And that's how I'm going to come to Torah. So we're going to start counting the Jew, we're going to start counting the Jewish people. And like I said, it's very interesting that we're going to count them families and tribes, a family for a tribe. So we don't have the count for family here. We're going to, have, but they are counted by family and the family is part of the tribe. So we're going to get the numbers of the tribe. I hope you're okay if we don't actually go through all the numbers. <laughs> It's, I, I, it's, it's, it's definitely something, huh? I, I know. But it's interesting that the Torah gives so many sukkin to give, it says, you know, let's look at how you, how do you count one, right? Um, let's go to Shani. Chapter one, verse 20. Emma, tell us how we counted. Read it. Two verses. And it's going to repeat that for every single tribe. It's going to repeat. It. It's going to give us that. For sure, there's a reason. I understand. That's what one of these. That's one of the things that we're going to we're going to try to figure out. We're going to try to figure out what's the reason. Um, uh, but it's very interesting that Torah is going to give that much, uh, that much attention to every single tribe. And then what's going to get more interesting, okay, I'm going to say two interesting things. First of all, there is not an odd number in the group. Not a single number. You never have and 73. So there's a, there's a debate, in, there's a debate in, the, in, in the stages if it's rounded up or if there actually was no extra number. Right, but, but the thing is, when you're talking about God, there's no such thing as impossible. And I can't believe that Torah would say, this is the number when it's really just an approximate number. You know, it's a little higher, it's a little lower. Torah doesn't work like that. We work like that. How much does it cost? We say twenty nine ninety eight, 
or do we say 30? You know what I mean? Like Tyra doesn't work like that. So if, if Tyra is telling us these are the numbers, um, you know, the way we look at Tyra, we're going to say that was the number. If it wasn't, then it would say it was approximately at some place in the Tyra, it would have said, you know, it was approximately, you know, rounded up, rounded down, you know, I mean, it, and, and when we're going to talk about the power of counting, we're going to underscore why it has to be an exact number. Because we don't just drop off. Like when you round off, somebody's getting dropped off. Either, you know, up or either somebody's missing or somebody's dropped off. So that doesn't actually work well when we talk about the power of counting and what it does to an individual. But it is very interesting that and understand that this, this perfect number didn't happen in the year. It's going over generations. People got married and had children and the, it all ended up being a perfect, a perfect number over here. Okay, so that's the first thing that we're going to have. The next thing, one other thing I want to point out, when we uh, count over here, you'll notice that we have in chapter 32 that Yosef's tribe is going to get split. Yosef is going to be split into Ephraim and Menasha. Exactly. Now, in, in Judaism, we always have the perfect number 12, right? It, it goes, you know, the reason we have... 12 months is because the world stands on 12 axes, which is because there are 12 tribes. So the 12 is, I don't know exactly what that means Kabbalistically, so not that much of Kabbalist, but it definitely has. So what we're going to have next is that we always need to have 12, and we don't have the tribe of Levi. When the tribe of Levi is out, you, uh, Yosef gets split to a and Menashe. So we had all the counts of everybody, Shkaya. Levi does not get counted here, okay? Levi does not get counted because they are not fighters. They do not go out to war. Um, and also Rashi brings over here that, um, which is so interesting in a conversation of, of, of knowledge, uh, God's knowledge and free will. But it, it, Rashi says here, and of course I should actually have the Rashi in front of me. You're right here. Um, in, in verse 49, it says that the tribe of lady was not, we, we should, would not, uh, don't count, the don't count their heads and don't, amongst the Jewish people. So first of all, Rashi gives two reasons. First of all, he says, it's appropriate that the legions of the king, right? Tribe of lady works for God. They should be counted separately. And another thing that Rashi saw, that's Rashi, sorry. Hashem saw, sorry about that. Hashem saw that in the future, there was going to be a decree on all these people who were counted and they were going to, they were going to die in the desert. And Hashem didn't want to count Levi in that. Okay? Um, uh, and so he says that, the, the, that this tribe of Levi is not part of that. They're mine, and therefore they get counted separately. Okay? Which, again, I'm not getting into the whole conversation. How does that work with uh, free will and, and predestination? But there you have it. Okay? And then it tells us that the Levi, the tribe of Levi, gets to, uh, they're going to uh, work for God. And their job is now in the desert is going to be to take down the Mishkan and to put it together. Now, we know that this is going to happen for a very long time, right? It's going to, it's going to go on for 40 years. Um, they don't know that. But even so, even for the organization from now, getting into the land of Israel, this is going to have to happen. They're going to have to know what to do. And remember that when the Jews are going to get into the land of Israel in 40 years, the Mishkan is still going to stay standing for uh, almost 400 years. It's going to move around a little bit, but it, they're not building the actual temple right away. So we do have, uh, okay, now it says over here in verse uh, in, uh, uh, 53, 
that the, the, that the Levim camped around the Mishkan. Okay, here's our Mishkan. It lies on a west, a west east axis, and the, the Levim are going to be around it. Okay, later on, we're going to actually hear where they are, but here we're going to have the tribe of the tribe of Levi. Here we're going to have Moshe and Aaron, and their children are going to be on this side. There's only three, the tribe of Levi is divided into three families, so they're going to be on those three sides. Okay, and now we're going to have into chapter two, talks about this whole situation of flags, that every person is going to camp under their flag. And what we're going to have here, if you want to talk about fascination with the numbers, is we're now going to go through every single tribe, and we're going to say who counts, not who counts, who camps where, um, and who and it's going to give us the numbers of the tribe and the total. Now, I have to tell you, math is really, it's not a strong subject. But these are basic numbers. They might be big. They're six. There's five numbers. There are six numbers. But they're not complicated algebra formulas. Like, all of us could actually do the math ourselves. So we're going to have to go back to this book before you. So here's how to do the math. This is the Mishkan. This is the tabernacle over here, OK? Um, every camp was what's called a mill away from each other. A mill is a, is a biblical measurement of, of thing. It's probably closer to a kilometer than to a mile. But I don't know if that's the exact how much it is. But what, what the sages tell us that if you know what Tchum Shabbos is? How far we're allowed to walk on Shabbos. Before, in a, if you're going out of the city, you can only walk a certain amount before it becomes considered overexerting yourself and you're not allowed to walk that far on Shabbos. Yes, yeah, sounds a little bit familiar. So the camps were just under that amount, meaning you from could each from each other. That means you could walk to the, to the Mishkan on Shabbos. You couldn't go at an angle because then it would be too far, but you could go around. This was the entrance. Here's where you have, here's actually the entrance to the Mishkan. It's a curtain that you come around and you go in. Moshe and Aaron that side. So you have to come in from this side because if you came at an angle, it would be too far. But every camp was less than the distance that, less than the distance that you're not allowed to walk on shops. Did that make sense in English? Yeah. Okay. In my head, it totally makes sense. So they could come together, but there is also this space going on between them. The first one we have, each camp has a flag. Don't. Judge my coloring, please. Thank you. The first tribe that we hit, the first camp, and then they're going to be called camp. So the first camp we have is the tribe of Yehuda. Who camp? Who camps with Yehuda? If you follow, we're in chapter two. Who camps with Yehuda? We have Yisachar, and yes, and Zebulun. Okay, Yisachar and Zebulun. Now. Each, it's going to tell us, again, it's going to repeat the number of how many were in Yehuda, how many are in how many were in Zerulim, and what is their total? What is their total? Uh, 186,000. 186, Straight? No, 186,400. 186,400. That's the camp of Yehuda. Now we're going to go to the camp of which is in the south. Okay. Who counts? Who counts with Ruve? Shimon, not lazy. But who's gonna count with who's gonna count with Shimon if you're following along? Huh? God. Ruben, Shimon, and God. Okay. What's their final count? 
Okay, now we're going to go to the west. Who's over here? No, we're not going to, we're skipping the Levites. We have Ephraim over here. Who's going to be with Ephraim? Menasha. And who else is going to be here? And Binyam. What's their count? 35,400. 35. No, the whole, the no. whole, no. Uh, 108,000. 108, Serving Hashem. 
Okay, but I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. I'm going to repeat what I'm saying. There is no one way to serve Hashem. There is no one answer. We all keep Shabbos. How do you define this? How do you define that? How do you define what should my service of Hashem look like? Which is the bigger question than how do I keep Shabbos, right? What is the, what should my derech be? What should my mahalach be? All those things. There is no one answer. Now, the problem is that we, we don't have tribes anymore and we don't know where we belong. We don't know how to fit ourselves into the picture. So the, the like from in, in Kabbalah, they talk about that there's really four main ways of serving Hashem today. Um, but anybody who tells you there is only one way to do this is not telling you the truth. It's not true. There are multiple ways of serving Hashem. And we have to find the place today. We don't have, you know, I guess if you had your tribe or whatever, you would kind of, I don't know if you'd be stuck or I don't know, maybe it would be more intuitive to you. But today we need to figure out where does it speak to my soul? I have to serve Hashem in a way, not just because like, well, I got to do it. So it doesn't matter. I'll just pick a number out of hat and I'll, I'll do that. I have to serve Hashem in a way that really sits, you know, it sits with my soul. It speaks to me. It's not just a grab bag. And, and the thing that I, I feel like today, one of the things that we, one of the things that I see, my little viewpoint of whatever, that people want to do a little bit of everything. I like that from that, that kind of community. I like that from that kind of community. I like that from that kind of community. It's great for you. I'm telling you as a mother, it's very, very, very hard to transmit that to your children. Like, why do we take that, but not that? And why do we do like, you know, to like, I, I call it like the Chinese, the Chinese menu Judaism. It doesn't really work in real life as a transmittable kind of situation, you know, at the same time, we, we can't just say, well, here's why, here's why I popped into this community. And so therefore I don't agree with most of the things that they do or the way they look at the world or the way they look at other people, but I'm stuck here. No, no, there's no one way to look at, there's no one way to serve Hashem. And I think if we learn nothing else but that, um, there are many, many authentic ways to, to have a relationship with Hashem. Um, and I think that we need to really make sure that, that our relationship with Hashem is real and is authentic and, and also speaks to our soul. Now, the question of connection, you know, um, Jamie raised the question of there, there is a way of the where there is a way of, of looking at the world and it's going to be, you're going to have tribes that are going to be together more together than other tribes are together, but they are not all, it's not just a hodgepodge. Everybody goes wherever they want. There is definitely an order. You see, it's a very clear order. And we talk about when the Jews are going to cat, when they move, there's two opinions. How did the Jews move in the desert? Did they move in a box like this? Or did they move one, two, three, four, five? Did they move in a line, in a long column? I mean, Yehuda, the keys lead off. Starts with Yehuda, goes through Uve, he's the other firstborn, right? Then comes the Mishkan, because the Mishkan God stays in the center of everything we do. Then we have a prime, and then we have Don at the end, you know, to pull it all together. Or do they travel in a box? But there's definitely a sense of order to what's going on. I want to point out a couple of things about this. First of all, take note. What do we see over here? How do we, if you know your tribes, how are how we grouping things? Moms. Moms, right? These are Rachel's children. These are Leah's children. These are the children of the 
the handmaid with the addition of God, right? Because ladies over here. So we are having that balance of, of going on. Um, we also have, you know, we're, so that's one thing that's going on over here. Something that I saw comes from the Medrash, which I think is, wow. You know, for all the weird, crazy Medrashim that you find, every, you know, like there's also like these amazing things. So we're standing now a few days before Shavuos and the Medrash tells us that when the, that when Hashem, when there was revelation at Sinai and Hashem came down to the Jewish people, he came with hosts of angels and, and the Medrash actually has the numbers. When the Jewish people looked at that, Hashem coming with the camp of Gabriel on one side and the camp of Michael on the other and the camp of Raphael and the camp of Oriel and leading their camps, the Jewish people looked at it and they said, we want that. We want that. And the way the angels come, it's almost like they, in Kabbalah, in our Kabbalistic terminology, they are the Merkava, they are the chariot for Hashem. They were like his entourage, but they're carrying Hashem. And the Jewish people said, could, could we? And Hashem said, because you like really wanted it, I'm going to give it to you. And so this camp of the Jewish people with the numbers, and we're going to have later on, when we have this add in the tribes of the, the families of Levi and their numbers, it is the exact amount of angels in the exact sides that came down with Hashem. That's what the Medrash tells us. I don't, I don't have all the numbers over here. And I don't remember, like, the, I don't remember if, um, I think that Gabriel is the, the same as Yehuda. I don't remember exactly which, but each angel, the, you know, the main angels led a tri, led a, a host of angels and they all surrounded Hashem. It was the exact same numbers. So when we look at the Jewish camp in the desert, that was, we, we were the chariot for Hashem. We were, we were the ones who carried out God's will in this world. And what was the Mishkan? What was the Mishkan? According to Ramban, according to Nachmanides, the Mishkan was a portable Sinai. Sinai was a once, once in a lifetime, not even, sorry, not even once in a lifetime, once in a, a forever kind of experience. It was never going to be repeated. It's never going to be repeated again, that whole revelation of Sinai. But the place of the Mishkan, Nachmani says, is a place of portable Sinai, of portable revelation. And we act as the carriers for Hashem in that place of making the world a home for Hashem. Wow. Like how, to me, that was mind-blowing. I don't know. Like to me, that was like, and as we're coming to Shavuos, this is where we are. We're standing in this place. We all are part of this camp. We all are part of being the ones to actually, what, what's a chariot? Chariot does what the rider wants, right? It just goes where the rider wants. And, and there is a place that I want to give us all such a deep bracha. Can we let ourselves be a chariot? Can we let ourselves hear what Hashem wants of us and say, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I may not understand it totally. I may not, whatever. But if that's what you want, then, then I'm in. You know, now I, I'm not making a plug at all for turning off your brains. So please don't take that. Of course, we need to learn and pay attention and not every single thing that comes whispering in our ears is God's voice. For that, we have good medication. If you're in Jerusalem, you hear God's voice. <laughs> it's a real syndrome. 
Jerusalem syndrome is a real, it's a real recognized syndrome that people come to Jerusalem and they think they're the Messiah. Yes, it's a real syndrome. You know, if the cure is take them out of Jerusalem. <laughs> but really, uh, today we don't live in an age of prophecy. We don't really hear God speaking in our in our head, but we do hear it resonating in our heart. And when we're quiet and when we can take diffuse the noise a little bit and the balagan that we are inundated with on a regular basis, we are open to hearing what Hashem has to say to us. And then we can say, oh man, this is really uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. Like when we want to say that we don't really know, sometimes we really don't know. And sometimes it's just a matter of like quieting the balagan and detaching, this is from our perspective, detaching from our phones and detaching from our social media and, and listening and hearing where, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing now? And then being brave enough to, to say, yeah, God, I'm there. And, and so that's really my, my, my biggest bracha to all of us, that we should, be, we should be open to hearing it and we should be open to acting on what we actually hear. Um, so that's, that's my two cents on the, on the camp of the Jewish people. Um, the next thing that we're going to have is, <sighs> next thing that we have here is uh, we're going to do another, now we're going to count the Levites. The Levites get counted from one month up. And then we're going to have a count of, a double count of the firstborn Israelites and the firstborn Levites. Okay. Has anybody ever been to a ceremony called a pigeon haben, a redemption of the firstborn? Okay, redemption. what happened was, in plan A of the story, the firstborns of every family were supposed to work in the temple or the tabernacle. And then came the golden calf. And that kind of... So the Levites are the replacements for the firstborn. Now, what happened in the desert was a one-time deal where each firstborn and each Levite had to switch themselves out. That means, come Sarah, come. Sarah is a Levite. I am firstborn. I'm supposed to work in the temple. But now Sarah is going to, how can I switch you out over a table? Come on, come on, come on. And now Sarah is going to work in the house of God, and I'm going to go back to the side of the It was a one-shot deal. So what happened is we need to first find out how many Levites are also firstborn? Because then you put on your, your firstborn hat, put on your Levite hat, and you're out. You go back. Okay? You're switched out. If, if you're a Levite, and a first, all the firstborns have to be switched out. So the firstborn Levites switch themselves out. And the first time around, it was really with a one-to-one switch. It was not, it was not today, what Cohen could do many, he can redeem many firstborns. But in the first count, it was a one-to-one switch. So the first thing we do is we need to find out it was not exact. <laughs> it was not exact. There were 237 firstborn Levites, and there were 22,000 firstborn Israelites. So anybody, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think my numbers are off, actually. I think there were 22. Yeah, I think that's, I think those are the numbers, but we can double check in a second. So what happened was anybody who had a Levite to switch them out could switch out. Any firstborn that had an Israelite could, any Israelite that had a Levite to switch them out could do an exchange. 
anybody that didn't, and we didn't because we had 237 firstborn Levites who switched themselves out, they had to pay five shekels. And guess what? Moshe and Hashem said, Hashem said to Moshe, make a, a, I don't know how they would have done it because they didn't have paper, right? Make some kind of lottery system and everybody has to pick out how they're going to be exchanged. That's the real word, not switched out. Because or else everybody say, oh, I was, I was exchanged with a Levite. I don't have to pay. I don't have to pay. So everybody picked and on 237 of those, whatever, slips of papyrus, stones, I have no idea what they did. Um, uh, it said to, to pay money and the rest were switched out with a, with a Levite. And so now the Levites are officially in charge of working for the house of God. So that's the next thing that's going to take up. And again, we're going to have the numbers and the numbers and the numbers. The last thing that we're going to have in our Parsha is the last thing we're going to have in the Parsha is... Okay, this is going on over here. In the seventh Aliyah, we're going to have another count of the children of Kahas, which is one of the families of Levi. And they are going to be given the job that they have in transporting the Mishra. Okay? Anybody know, without looking, what was Kahas's job in transporting the Mishra? And if not, go look. It's chapter four. What... Everybody was every Levites were in charge. Well, Levites, the cost is all part of take it down. I would imagine that everybody's involved in the takedown part of the situation. What is a tribe of Kahas responsible for the transportation of? Chapter it's chapter four. First of all, Levites work in this in the temple from the ages from 30 to 50. Okay, they come in at 25 to, to apprentice. Uh, for five years, and then at 30, they get to do their, their service. What do they have? Exactly. They have to take the vessels from the, from the Mishkan, carry it, and move it to wherever it's going to be. So the, the Torah is going to give us a conversation about the coverings. Every single vessel had to be covered with at least two coverings. And then they had to have their sticks put in and they're ready to travel, okay? So the tribe of Kahas, sorry, the family of Kahas is in charge of moving the vessels. Okay, in the next parsha that we're gonna come up to, Parsha's Baloscha, uh, sorry, uh, Nassos is the next parsha. In Parsha's Nasso, we're going to have the, re the other two tribes, the other two families of the Levites and what their jobs are. So our parsha is gonna end up here. It's going to start with making a, an army for God, making a, a, a camp for God, and it's going to finish off with the first of the the first of the, of the families of the Levites and what they carried. And they carried all the holy items. They carried the menorah. They carried the shulchan. They carried the the ark. They carried the altars. They carried all that stuff. All the pieces that went along with it. They were in charge of carrying it all of all of it, um, and they actually they carried it on their shoulders. They didn't, you know, it's like. It, they didn't put it down someplace, you know, just an interesting random side situation. If you today transport a Torah scroll, uh, you don't put it down. You have to carry it. So if you ever are flying with a Torah scroll, you, you can't just like put it in the overhead compartment. You know what I mean? Like the, you, have you have to hold it, you have to get it a seat, whatever the situation is like, there's like a, yeah. What do they put it in a seat or does that bring it down? Yeah. No, you could put it in a seat, like. I, I, you could do that. Yeah, you could. You can't lay it. You can put the 
you know, well, it's teach birth. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know exactly. Yeah. Uh, dropping Torah scrolls, yeah, not considered good. It's yeah, it's it's a really it's a big deal. It's a big deal. A Torah scroll dropping, it's a big deal. Exactly, exactly. So you have to be really careful with Torah scroll. Um, okay, so here's where we are now. You have everybody who was there when it fell has to fast for forty days. Everybody who was there when it happens, no, 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 that's just the person that. So it's interesting. Forty days. So forty days. So you don't have to do for forty consecutive days. Um, and, uh, and you could push it off. So like in, in the show that my parents, uh, Davin, um, the Torah scroll fell and, um, and they, and the rub to like, they, they did some like winter days. So you have a shorter day to fat, whatever it's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, you have to all be I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not insane. Crazy. No, let's use another word. Let's use another word. Um, it's, that's like very really hard. That's very hard, and it's that's also right. It, it's it's really, actually nobody. It fell out in my in my in my family. My parents. It actually just fell out of the outside. Yeah, it's. It, I think that the. I think that you know we live in an age where we just want to say, oh, there are really no consequences for anything. And I think that when you have such a consequence for something, that you're like, okay, well, quickly, but like. It, it makes you understand the severity and the beauty and the importance of a Torah scroll. It just, you know, it puts it all into perspective a little bit. Um, so one thing that we didn't talk about over here, I got an overview of the Parsha. Yeah, we know what's happening in the Parsha. One thing that we didn't really talk about is this whole idea of counting at all. What are we dealing with counting? Why are we counting? What's this fixation with numbers? Um, what's going on over here? Um, and so there's a couple of things. First of all, in halacha, there's, there is something that we know, a concept called batal bashishim, nullified in 60. When do we ever have that? When do we use that? Kosher, for kosher. One, they always use the example of one drop of milk falls into a pot of, right? Like, I just, can't they ever come with another example? That's always the example, by the way, right? That's always the example. They have the same example all the time. So the first thing we know is that in halacha, certain things can be nullified in larger numbers. We have a concept of one in 60. We have a concept of one in 100. And Hashem looked at the Jewish people and he's like, wait a second. This nation is going to go out in the big wide world. And how do we make sure that they don't just get nullified with everything around them? Because the world will say, we're bigger. We're a hundred times bigger than you, let's say. They're probably much more than a hundred times bigger than us. But you should just do things our way. And that's what in halacha, there's another principle that says, can never be nullified. And we know the, like how many apples are in the case. You buy a case of apples. You buy a dozen eggs. You don't buy eggs by weight. You don't say, I'll, I'll buy five pounds of, of, of eggs. You buy them by piece, you buy diamonds. Every single one has its own, not just its own piece thing, but its own very, very specific value. So what Hashem is doing by counting us is he's ensuring 
that we become something of value that's counted in such a deep way that the world could come to us and say, you should really be like us. You know, we've had this happen many times in our history. You should be like us. You should give up your old ways. You should give up your things that make you stand out as Jewish people. And you should just do things our way. You know, that's also known as assimilation. And, and, and Hashem gave us the power by counting us to, to, not, uh, to, to not fall into that track. No, no we're, so, we're counted. We're not just like some random, you could just nullify us one in a hundred, one in 60, one in whatever. We are never nullified. We are something that is counted and we are never, ever nullified. The other thing that I think is very important to talk about is the idea of counting, the, the counting men. Now, what does Torah tell us? Why were they being counted? For battle, for war, right? Now, the first war that we're talking about is going into the land of Israel. There's going to be a war. We need to know how many fighters we have. But we've all learned a little bit of Hasidus. And what else do we know is a war? Every single day of our lives is a war. It's a war of doing the right thing, not doing the expedient thing, of do, listening to what Hashem wants of us. Every single day, we have to engage in that. And the part of when we talk about a, a male, we're not talking about men versus women. There's a male aspect of engagement that everybody has. The male aspect of engagement, you know, they go and slay dragons. The princes go and slay dragons. The princesses, they don't do that, right? And in Judaism, to, to paraphrase it, the male aspect of us, of our soul, does the conquering. And the female aspect of our soul does the nurture, right? It brings in and creates and, and, and develops. And so the part that needs more protection, that needs to be counted to say, you will be okay, is the part of us that goes out and engages the world and battles with the world. The part of us that sort of you know, stays home and does and nurtures, that's a different kind of conversation that's going on. But each and every one of us have that place where we do engage the world. We need to go out there and we need to use a masculine modality when we do that, we can't, there's parts of the world that we do nurture and that's the way, you know, that's the way we, we elevate it. But there's definitely certain things that, that, that making clear lines, no, yes, fighting for what's right, that's something that's, all of us have that male modality in us to be able to do that, even when we do it in a feminine way, but the act of going out and engaging like that in Kabbalah is considered a male, uh, a male modality. And so, all of us need that bracha that when we go out and engage, we should be protected and we should come back. And they talk about counting the soul, which king it was, he had the, he had the plague over there. But one of, the, one of the, the, the kings of Israel, when they were going to war, they counted the soldiers before they went out and when they came back. It happened with, it happened with Joshua you know, a little bit later on, but it also happened once they're in the land of Israel. And what they found was that every single soldier came back. That means that the counting gave them protection, not just spiritual protection, but an actual physical protection of having them be safe in their fights as they fight the wars for Hashem. I want to give us all a bracha. Like we started off, it's Rosh Chodesh. It's a day that we came to the mountain, we came to the mountain and we realized that we as a Jewish people, we as a family are of value beyond everything else, beyond our individual we're going to go into tomorrow and we're going to have our individuality, come back again. 
And that's kind of what's happening over here with our counting. Our counting doesn't tell you how much I'm worth. I'm only worth one. It doesn't matter if I'm a poet, if I'm a fighter, if I'm the sage, if I'm the king, it doesn't matter who I am. Everybody, there's that, that place that we're all equal. And as we come to Torah and as we come to our relationship with Hashem, there is a place where, yes, we need to bring in our own. And that's where we're going to have different tribes and different ways of doing things. And it's going to be grouped and regrouped and regrouped. But each and every one of us counts 100% for who we are before we do anything else. So I want to give us a bracha that we see our value, that we see that we're capable of doing amazing things, that we hear what we need to do, and that we should be courageous enough to be able to step to the plate and do it. Have an awesome rest of the day.